They want you to change your name. Archie Leach doesn't cut it. Anything come to mind? Carrie Grant. Jason, it's so nice to see you. Hi, darling. How are you? I'm really good. I Where love this. You? I'm in New York City. So am I. I'm looking out the window. Where the hell are you? Wait at me. <laughs> <laughs> this was so much fun. I loved it. I well, thought... well, we failed then. It's a heartbreaking, tragic story about a man tortured by his childhood who can't hold a relationship down. What well, what were you watching? You still did a great job. Oh, okay. I'll find I'll take that. Okay. So tell me how the role came to you. How did it come on your radar? Uh, the same way all the, the agent calls, they go, they're like, they want to offer you a thing playing Cary Grant. I went, you must be out of your mind. Just tell them no. And they need to go and seek therapy. He said, well, it's called Archie. It's written by Jeff Pope. And I thought, Jeff Pope, he's not an idiot. Why would he try and get an actor to play Cary Grant? Uh, and then I read the scripts and of course it's not about Cary Grant. It's about Archie Leach, who was the polar opposite of Cary Grant. Cary Grant was a character he created in some ways to try and solve his terrible damaged insides and this uh, and uh fill a hole that was left empty from his abusive and, and catastrophic childhood and i thought oh hold on a second that's a bit more interesting uh and um get into that i went to meet jeff Pope. the jeff Pope, the writer has a long history of bringing real life stories to the screen in brilliant fashion including getting oscar nominations and baptists and all the rest of it um so i went to see him and talk to him about it and but what became clearer and clearer is he'd spent 10 years developing this and um and he was very collaborative and open to stuff and and in the reversal of normal situation where you go, I go and meet someone, hope they'll offer me a job. I thought, I don't know. I don't know. Harry Grant, I'm not sure about this. And I left and he shook my hand. He said, I hope you take the job. And I went away and I started reading about him and, and learning about him and, and realizing this was a really badly scarred man who, who dealt with just such inner torment. Who, when he got off stage or got off the set, shut his front door and dropped a mask and someone entirely different emerged. And I thought, well, that sounds like something I'd want to play. Uh, and I just had to realize there'd be a million people sharpening the knives going, you're no Cary Grant. I know I'm no Cary Grant, but he wasn't either. Well, it's interesting because you put, you did more of his essence than mimic him. And I'm wondering, how did you find your way in? Was it putting on those trademark glasses? You know, tell no, me. It wasn't, you know, the, there's two things to playing him. Uh, one is the craft of walking, uh, walking like him, you know, looking a bit like him. That's other people who do the amazing makeup and hair and, uh, I mean, I don't look like him. I look less like me. It's an indication, you know. People who want to, if you want to see Cary Grant, go watch Cary Grant. But um, but so there's the outside, there's the walking, there's the talking. So the voices of the whole technical thing to do. But really, it's the inner landscape that's hard. How do I make this seem truthful? You won't recognize him from the movies because he was unrecognizable. If you want to see where the bridge is, go searching for interviews with him. You won't find any. He didn't give any. He didn't want the public to see who he was when the mask dropped. He knew how he was the very polar opposite of everything the audience worshipped him for. The great dramatic irony of his life, he was so unloved, he was completely abandoned and neglected and abused when he was a kid, that he spent his whole life trying to make people love him. He was a male escort, and he was pretty, and he, he wooed people, had many relationships. And, and, uh, and when he succeeded on a scale no one could ever dream of, which is making literally the whole world, half the world, adore him and worship him and lust after him, he felt even worse about himself, more, more unlovable. He got into relationships with men and women and drove them away, made them leave him before they could abandon him like everyone had when he was a kid. So uh, the, the difficult part as an actor, apart from the craft of the outside, was to build that on the inside. So, and I did that with the help of every biography and everyone else's biography who had ever met him and lots of talking to Diane Cannon. Um, 
Yeah, I was going to ask you that. Um, tell me about some of those questions that you asked Diane and also of his daughter, Jennifer. Well, so Jennifer and Diane both have been consulted by Jeff, although it's really Jeff. He had to have the right from them to to tell the story his way, whatever he felt to be true. Otherwise, it would have been horribly compromised. Jennifer remembers a loving, doting dad, and she knew him when he had retired from acting. And uh, my overly simplified version of what went on, but I think it's accurate and emotionally accurate, is that he sought love his whole life. And he was never going to get enough love off anyone to fill the hole that, that was left from the abandonment of his mother and father and everyone else. But when he had a kid, he started to give love. And it's not complicated. I remember when my first daughter was born, I thought, finally, I belong somewhere. There's someone she doesn't need. All she needs from me is love. And I don't expect anything from her. And that was the beginning of the healing process uh, for him. So Jennifer saw a doting dad. Diane, boy, her book, her book, Dear Kerry, will tell you and chronicle it. And there's many things she told me that weren't in the book, very private things that uh, I, I won't be sharing, but were helpful. But she was wooed by Cary Grant, but she married Archie Leach. And Archie Leach was a guy who arrived with a whole fleet of pantechnicons of baggage uh, and scars that were so wounds that had not only never healed from childhood, that he had opened wider and wider by becoming so beloved and feeling so far from the, the creature he'd created on screen. And Diane had a, such a terrible time. I kept apologizing to her, apologizing for what she had to go through as a young woman. You know, I've got daughters that weren't very much younger than she was when she married them, and, uh, and that she shouldn't have had to, and she shouldn't mm -hmm. have had to endure this pain. But who was she going to tell? And also, she was committed to marriage. She was a young, you know, she was out of, born out of her time, really. She thought you marry someone for life, and that's it. And she put up with really an extraordinarily... Uh, an onslaught in every area before finally she walked away. So, so anyway, it... I think the question was about research. I lost myself. But uh, <laughs> she chronicled for me in such detail with real generosity. Looking back, she took a long time before she wrote a book, and it's 10 years after the book before this was made. She's able to forgive him and not, and still, and not carry uh, resentment and anger uh, in her heart because she could see the fault lines going all the way back to his childhood. She knew where his terrible behavior came from. She knew in many ways he was his own worst enemy, no matter what he did to her. I was surprised when I heard that he was offered James Bond, and I thought, that must have been a little tick for you, because weren't you also offered James Bond in yeah. your career? Never? No, I was never offered James Bond. No. <laughs> I thought you were. No. I do know Dan Craig, who was born to play James Bond. He was absolutely <laughs> fabulous at it, but no. I was never, it's funny when those things appear in the newspaper somewhere and it goes, the top five people on the list and put money on them. I want to write in and go, don't put money on me because I know Dan's playing it. <laughs> what about your makeup and, and your look? Talk about applying that in the morning and, you know, what that felt like to sort of look like him. So he was told very early on in Hollywood, be brown. You want to be brown. You want to be the brownest person in the film. Uh, my God, did he take that far? He walked around with a you know triple reflector thing the whole time, and he was so dark brown. And in Gunga Din, he was darker than the Indians. And he, they tried to overlight him and underlight other people to balance the colors out. But even towards the end of his life, he just wouldn't listen to anyone. So he was always very very brown. So I was covered in like outdoor furniture polish the entire time, fake tan that was so mahogany brown it was absurd. But that's the color that he was. Um, and then he famously had that dimpled chin. Just to rewind slightly. I was never going to look like him. I wasn't trying to look like him. I was just trying to indicate something slightly in that direction. So uh, I've seen a couple of things online. They're not professional reviewers, but uh, I stupidly read the comments sometimes on social media. And they're like, he doesn't even look like Cary Grant. I know. 
That's okay. <laughs> I do realise I'm not Cary Grant. Uh, and believe me, soon there'll be AI and Cary Grant will be in films again and actors will be out of work. But right now it's me. Um, anyway, we decided you couldn't avoid the chin. It's such a defining feature. But actually, the chin, the size he had, if anyone wants to go and I'm Google and look at, it was enormous. It was like a, a doll's butt cut off and stuff. So we made it smaller. He had brown eyes. I had contact lenses. He had different hair, different eyes, different wigs. And then when I got older, we had very subtle prosthetics widening my face, which meant four or five hours in the chair, but it was worth it. It's just a kind of subtle look. Yeah, you kind of my... There's the handmade suits. They're all tailor-made suits. Uh, and then there's the audience's suspension of disbelief. Yeah, you kind of took my next question of sort of going from the younger version to the older version and how you sort of found your way there. Well, his voice changed. I mean, his gait changed. He was an acrobat when he was a kid. He wanted to still to be an acrobat and to be bouncy when he was older. But, his, you know, your knees and your elbows go a bit. Um, and his voice changed. His voice got deeper and uh, slightly raspier uh, towards, the end of his voice, towards the end of his life, certainly. Um, and then I did that thing that is my job. I pretended. Mm. Did you did you do the voice all the time to sort of stay in it? Yeah, I always do that. Uh, I, that's the thing that I I just find it much easier because when they say action, I'm thinking about what the hell I'm thinking about. My wife is making me jealous, or you know, my mother's driving me mad. Instead of that, and oh wait, what sound comes out now? What sound comes out here? How do I say this line? I feel if I chat in the voice, and I do it when I'm doing American, or you know, I just did. Uh, Staffordshire and in England naturally you wouldn't know but anyway if I find if you stay in it all day as much as possible then it's it may not be good but it's consistent mm. talk about your role Jason as a producer like what did you contribute there well I went to see Jeff Pope who wrote it the first time when I've been offered the job and hadn't decided to take it because I thought it was a poison chalice and uh, it's just gonna walk into a sea of knives for me and uh and there were some things that i thought we needed to engage with which is like uh which one of which was the fact that he had been with men a lot earlier in his life and then was with women later and uh and jeff and i had a robust debate about whether to include it or not because there isn't necessarily proof diane says it wasn't true but she didn't know when he was young and and jeff is the most collaborative person he said well look we'll find a way to honor what you think we need to honor because we don't want to uh in any way whitewash things but also stick to what we know to be true and uh, you have a ton of ideas. Why don't you be an executive producer? And that way you have an official seat at the table. You'd have a seat at the table anyway, because you're playing him, but just make you an EP and then you get to be part of all the creative discussions. So uh, he's just a very open, lovely, creative guy. And that meant that I was given license, maybe more than I would have done as an actor, to to mess about on set, to to try something, to try, you know, to improvise around. And the brilliant Laura Aikman, who plays Diane Cannon, so nimble on her toes as an actress that not only was she, if I zigged, she dagged, but she would do the same to me. And it just meant it, meant, uh, it, meant it felt like a very free place. We weren't nailed down by uh, a script. And Jeff is one of those people who's unprecious about his writing. So that's what being a producer was. Also, as an executive producer, I felt responsible for the mood of the crew. If we're doing a late night shoot, just make sure that everyone's happy, fed, well lubricated, uh, dancing to music, whatever. Just <laughs> Just uh, you want to make sure that everybody around is having a good time because in the end, we're just making a television program. So in the end, what was the best feedback that you got from the family? Well, Diane couldn't watch a lot of stuff. She found it very, very difficult. And this is, these are chapters she put behind her a long time ago. She wrote a book a long time ago. She'd seen all the dailies, but when she watched it put together and I was with her at first screening in London, she found a lot of it uh, so evocative and so close to her experience that it was incredibly painful for her and it made her angry again and sad again. And um, 
I guess in an awful way, that's what I would hope we could do. Mm. Jason Isaacs playing Cary Grant and Archie on BritBox. So wonderful to see you. Hopefully next time it'll be in person. I'm here. I'm not moving. <laughs>